come before you this morning, and Lord, we just ask that you would work in each heart and life, that you would give us a service where we could lift up your name and glorify you for who you are. Lord, that you would give us a greater understanding of what it means to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask you to superintend each part of this service, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. First church and the children's church. And the rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and our theme this year is growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and growing, speaking the truth in love. Uh, that ye uh, may grow up into him in all things. And uh, let's, uh, before we start reading the entire text this morning, let's just look here in 1 Peter chapter 2, and this is going to be kind of the, the theme here or the main part that we're trying to cover today to understand this fully in its biblical context. Verse 2 says, As newborn babes... Desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. This morning, I would like for us to deal with this subject, the milk of the word. And uh, I think if I do not raise my voice at all, I may be able to get through this in somewhat of a fashion. So uh, please forgive the monotone this morning, but uh, trying to uh, be as intelligible as possible. We start here with this verse, and we have to understand something. Growth has to start somewhere. You, you do not... Uh, uh, normally go up to a 40-year-old person and say, what are you going to be when you grow up? Unless there's some really bad things going on in their life. Uh, are we together on that one? Uh, normally that growth process has uh, already happened, should have already happened, and, and there should be some evidences of that. And if you find yourself in that position, you can rest assured that at least someone else thinks there's an awful lot going wrong in your life. Otherwise, they wouldn't be asking you that question at that point uh, of your maturity. Now, Peter right here is saying, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Now, uh, there is, I don't know of anything sweeter, actually more strange, than a newborn baby. Uh, and uh, what we're talking about is not the Hollywood version when you see uh, whatever that. That is uh, just not the way things really are in real life. When a baby is just born, they hardly know how to cry. And the Bible says <clears throat> that as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word. One of the first signs that a baby, a newborn baby, is normal in its development, that it's not early, depending on the doctor's calendars and all this figuring, is that <clears throat> within just a few moments of birth and all of the trauma, and by the way, if I could just throw this in here, you go through more physical trauma being born than you will in your entire life afterwards. Uh, it's a good thing it happens when you can't remember. And we've got some psychoanalysts out there, uh, there's no real word for it, who think they can recreate that in people's lives, and it's really a bunch of foolishness. Uh, God has purposely withheld us from understanding and experiencing those things, but that little baby who can hardly cry will seek and begin to nurse and then we can have some assurances that this child was ready and developed properly and 
that birth <clears throat> happened at the right time. And so let's put this in its entire context here. Let's go back to verse 23 of chapter 1. It says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of men as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. We start with the word of the Lord. You see, there are reasons, and we've been over this many times. I hope you never grow tired of this. But there are reasons why our church bears the name that it does. Open door comes from Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus set before the church at Philadelphia an open door. And we've asked, and long before there was a church, uh, my wife and I prayed together for over two years before our first service that God would give an open door in Astoria. And I always like to add, there were three on the front of this building. I, I just like that. And uh, that's why that verse is there. And uh, I've had people say, well, you call it open door because the doors are open to anyone. Well, what kind of church would close its doors to certain groups of people? You can't find that in the Bible anywhere. That's nonsense. Well, the reason we call it open doors is because we believe Jesus opened those doors. But we are a Bible Baptist church. This book is the center of everything we do. It is the authority for all that is preached and taught here. Everything we go to, we go back to the Bible. The reason we use the name Baptist is because Historically speaking, the Baptist peoples are the only church group that has the history of being only the Bible. I don't enjoy getting into debates, but every once in a while someone will come up and say, what about the Protestants and solo Torah, Scripture only? Well, talk to Martin Luther, and it was the Scripture only according to Martin Luther. Because when you talk to John Calvin, it was the scripture according and understood through Calvin's institutes. And when you talk to King Henry, he said, it's the scripture that gives me the right to appoint the bishop so he'll give me a divorce so I can find a wife that'll give me a son. Which didn't work out anyway. Elizabeth was actually better than any of his sons. Uh, And we'll keep going on. But these were all... Very poor excuses. The Baptists are the only people that have the history of only the Bible. And a church, because Jesus said, I will build my church. That's what our name is, and that's what it means. And we want to understand that you and I, we are temporary at best. If you live a hundred years, what is that compared to eternity? And so, as we understand, it's the word of the Lord that endureth forever. It is the word uh, which by the gospel is preached unto us. It's only through the printed words of this book called the Bible that you and I can understand today the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're not saved that way, you're not saved according to the Bible. The only hope of eternity that you can have is by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He does all the saving. But here's the problem. Many of us have had much experience, quote-unquote, in religion and in Christianity before we got saved. And the Bible tells us, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. 
as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Now, the Bible, without excuse, without argument, teaches us that we must lay aside all malice. That's ill will toward other people. You know, I've often, in discussion with people, they'll say, well, what about this? And I said, the Baptists have never started any war. Historically speaking, the Lutherans have started wars. The, uh, all the Protestants have fought wars. Uh, the Catholics, oh, they've started more wars than all the rest of them combined. Uh, Islam has never stopped fighting since day one. The Bible teaches us to lay aside all malice and guile. Uh, one of the biggest problems I have with many of these new, no-name, non-denominational churches is they're trying to trick people to come into church. They want a church where people who go to the bar on Friday night and have a few drinks with their friends would be comfortable on Sunday morning. Uh, we don't want that at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Because if you're comfortable in the world, you ought to be uncomfortable in the presence of God. Can we say amen to that? And that discomfort is part of the uh, process that will drive an unsaved person to accepting true and simple Bible salvation. We don't, we're not trying to trick you into coming to church. Uh, church is not here just to make you feel better. Sometimes it's to make you feel worse. So that you'll go to God and make things right. It says, and hypocrisies. Now, I wish I could tell you that Open Door Bible Baptist Church is without hypocrisy. But then it would have to be without people. But it certainly ought not be the general characteristic of our church. And yet I've talked to many people of many different kinds of churches. And that's one of the first, oh, just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, <clears throat> have you stopped uh, going to work because of all the hypocrites at work? Um, have you stopped shopping at the grocery store because of all the hypocrites at the grocery store? I mean, have you ever seen them? They're going through the organic food aisle and carefully reading all the things. <clears throat> then they walk down the dessert aisle and four packs of Oreos go in the cart before anybody sees them. I mean, don't, don't. <clears throat> Please put up with my voice this morning. We got off to a pretty good start, but it's getting rough again. Um, and envies. Envies. You know, that's not part of following Jesus Christ. People look at other people and say, I wish I had what they had. You know, what we're supposed to do is look to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him for what he will give. The song Zach sang this morning, how could you have a better song before a sermon like this? Only Jesus can satisfy. And that's what it's talking about here in desiring that sincere milk of the word. And it says, and all evil speakings. I don't think... <clears throat> I don't believe anyone would argue with any one of these points that the Bible teaches us these things. And that if we'll go back into the world of false religion, this is really all that we find. And so we come to verse 2. And it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, 
that ye may grow thereby. Now, doctors have made all kinds of weird and strange experiments, but one of the ones that is just kind of strange to me because we should have known the outcome long before the experiment was they would take newborn babies and give them a bottle and not give them the physical touch of the mother and that and see how they developed. And they didn't do this long term, praise God, because they found out very quickly that without that human contact, that little baby did not do as well as it ought to. In fact, they've taken a cloth saturated with uh, the mother's milk and laid it beside a newborn who could hardly move itself. And it would uh, turn its head or, or try to get there where it, could, um, it was drawn to that scent because there was a connection there. That baby knew these things. You see, as a newborn baby, as a born-again child of God, we're supposed to desire the sincere milk of the Word. Now, sincere just means real, without adulteration, without additives, unchanged. And it says that's how we grow. The problem is we have so many Christians that want to understand deep theological truths and they want to grasp all of the answers to the universe and they want to answer every argument that is out there. I want to challenge you, newborn babies don't do that. All they want to do is nurse, be burped, Because gas is painful. That's why they cry. And then they do the other thing and you change your diaper and they're empty and so you have to fill them up again. I mean, that's not a very complicated process, is it? And um, it's been quite a while in our house since we've had a little baby like that waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning and, and all those other things and I'm not going to stand here and say, oh, I miss those days, because I don't. I enjoyed them while they were there. And uh, I do not mind taking care of the grandkids at all in any aspect that they need to be taken care of. But it's really nice to go, your son's got a dirty diaper. And let somebody else take care of it, amen? Amen. But let's get back to us. As a newborn babe in Christ, it tells us to desire the sincere milk of the word that we can grow thereby. Man has tried with all of his formulas and chemicals and additives, but he has never equaled the goodness of, and all of the health and the benefits that comes from mother's milk. Man has never done that. And verse 3 says, If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now we talk about the sincere milk of the word. Do you know how many doctrines of this Bible have been perverted by man? Every one of them. I remember one time talking with a man of the Islamic faith, and he said, we don't have that problem with the Quran. The Quran has never been changed by anyone. He said, really? I said, that's why the Shiites and the Sunnis are fighting wars, is because there's never been a change or an argument. And and I went through a little bit of Islamic history, and he's looking at me like I got three heads I said, you've got a lot more problems than we do with the Bible, with your Quran. There's just no question there. But I'll tell you this. If we're not careful, 
will allow additives and will allow other things into that sincere milk. And the Bible tells us in this next verse, If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Do not try to improve on the Bible. Do not try to improve on the church. Often like to say the church is like the nursery for the newborn baby. Nurseries do no good until after the baby is born. Amen? Can you help me this morning? My voice is not that strong. I can't drown you all out. So, the problem is, have you tasted that sincere milk of the word or are you allowing experience and other things that you've had happen to you before you were saved or even after you were saved before you got into a real church to influence your understanding of what the Bible is? And I would just simply make this statement as the pastor of this church since its first Sunday that 99% of all the problems that we've ever faced as a church are because of things that happened in the life of newborn Christians before they got involved in a real church. And so they think they know how things ought to be or they think that they have abilities that they do not have. And it does not add to the service and the structure and the working of the church. You see, if we have tasted that the Lord is gracious, then these next few verses are going to be very important to you. Verse 4 says, To whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. He also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious... But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Now, this next section here talks about the chief cornerstone. And again, please do not misunderstand me. I'm not just picking on the Catholics this morning, but they're the ones that have made the biggest noise about Peter being the rock of their church. And I want to challenge you, if Peter is the rock of their church, then Jesus is not. And therefore, it cannot be Jesus' church. Peter's testimony here is very simple. He says, We come unto Jesus as a living stone. Chosen of God, that's what the word elect means, and precious, the only one. Man has always rejected God's standard and always will. We must come to God's standard, but I want you to understand this. Look down in verse 7 here. It says, but unto them which be disobedient in the middle of the verse, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient. We'll pick up that last phrase in a few moments here. You see, in ancient architecture, they did not have laser levels and long tape measures and all the things that we do today that we can build a building and keep it within its geometric proportions. So what they did 
was they would set a cornerstone, a chief cornerstone. That was the first stone that was put in place. Every measurement in the building was then taken from that one stone. Now, you know what that did? That set a standard. And that kept every other measurement in the building in correct alignment with that one stone. Do you know that if you are a newborn babe in Jesus Christ and you desire that sincere milk of the word, that you are going to be changed into the image of Jesus Christ. He is the man. That's what it means to grow up into him. But growth's got to start somewhere. We do not feed babies a great big juicy steak, as good as that might be. In fact, our joke always was between my wife and I, when the baby was sitting at the table, you get yours tomorrow. And, and, uh, and the, the truth of the matter is, we've got to start with the simplest things of God's Word. But I want to challenge you, the simplest things of God's Word are the most profound. Do you know that the whole world does not understand what salvation is? The entire religious world sets salvation as the finish line. We've been over this so many times. The Bible sets salvation as the starting line. You cannot serve God. You cannot do anything for God until you first are saved. The church does not give you salvation. The church is to help you live out that salvation. It's completely opposite you see, I don't have to condemn and remeasure and break and come into contention with living stones that have come to Jesus Christ of their own accord who are fed of the milk of the word. The contention comes when people set up their own measurements and set up their own standards, and try to do their own things, and then come in and try to fit into a church. Are we together on this? Tough stuff. But it's what the Bible says now, isn't it? You see, Peter doesn't get abrasive here until the very end, because this is a natural process of getting closer to Jesus. If I'm trying to serve Christ and you're trying to serve Christ, you know what? We already have more in common than you do with any of your earthly family, whether they're saved or not. Because we are members one of another of Jesus Christ, serving him in his body which is the local church. And our measurements will come from Jesus Christ. And it says, He that believeth on him, verse 6, shall not be confounded. I am glad to tell you, all these years into the pastorate, that I am putting more emphasis today on the simple things of God's Word or as much or more as I did all those years ago when I was just beginning. Because it's this simple and pure milk of the Word that we're going to grow. If you understand what Bible salvation is, Bible baptism is not a big deal to you. If you understand Bible salvation and Bible baptism... Being a part of a church is one of the greatest privileges that you'll have in your life. A church that teaches and preaches what the Bible says. And I'll guarantee it may not be as exciting here as it is in other places. But I will challenge you to take this thought into mind. 
a baby nursery where that newborn baby is being fed is not a very exciting place. In fact, it's pretty quiet usually. And should be pretty private as well. Amen? And we just want that little child to take nourishment so that they can grow. And it's amazing how much growth that little child does. You do more growing from the date of your birth to your first birthday than you do in most of the rest of your life. You know that a a newborn baby will often triple its birth weight from birthday to its first birthday. Now stop and think about that. You weigh 50 pounds, are you going to weigh 200 pounds in a year? Not unless something really bad happened. But that's really good for a newborn baby to go from six pounds to, what would that be? Six times three is 18, that's six, 24 pounds. That's about right. That's a big baby. Yeah. But we like big babies. Don't you just love fat little babies? I mean, just pinch them thighs. Oh, that is so wonderful. You know why? Because it's healthy. That's a good thing. Could we do that spiritually? Could we stop trying to be adults in diapers? I know that happens but not until you're really old, okay? Let's, let's wait on that. Let's enjoy the process of growing up. Every child, once they get old enough to understand what's going around, they want to be 21, right? And then they spend the rest of their life after 21 wishing that they were 21 again, but they'll find out that they wasted that whole most perfect year of their life because when they finally got there, it wasn't what they expected it to be. God doesn't want us to grow that way. He wants us to come to Jesus. He wants us to be naturally changed by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be cut and to be molded and to be shaped and to grow up into him, grow up into that part that God has created for us to serve in the church. I'm sorry, I've got to try to raise my voice on that. Just no voice to raise. So, <clears throat> so we come to verse 9, and it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I want you to understand these two verses here, nine and ten. It would take us hours and hours just to go through all of the scripture that Peter references right here. And so many false doctrines. There is a thing called replacement theology that the church has replaced Israel. That's not in the Bible. It says you are a chosen people. It says a royal priesthood. Read the book of Revelation chapter 1. Hadn't been written yet. yet When Peter penned these words, and yet John said, Thou hast made us kings and priests unto our God. Uh, The reason this works so well together is because the same Holy Spirit that was directing Peter was directing John decades later when he put the book of Revelation 
down on paper. This idea of showing forth his praises, showing forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is the purpose and the direction and the duty of the church. Amen? And see, you go back to the prophets. I think it's in the book of Ezekiel. He talks about those that have not obtained mercy and those that did obtain mercy. Peter's referencing that here. We were not the chosen people of God. That belongs to the Jewish people, the physical descendants of Abraham. And God has never turned his back on the Jewish people. I, I count it a privilege for us to hold services in a former synagogue. Because now we preach the whole Bible here. And we thank the Lord for where he has put us. But I want you to understand something. We're strangers and pilgrims in this world. And we, as God's servants, spend far too much time making ourselves comfortable and able to live in this world rather than preparing for the world that is to come. That's the challenge of this passage. If you want to understand what spiritual growth is, that's what the rest of this chapter is about. And we're going to have to move through it very quickly in order to get it all in. But it tells us in verse 11 <clears throat> that we're to abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Do you understand that's why we do not want worldly music in our church? I will not use the exact quote of some famous rock and roll singer here, but uh, when she was asked what rock and roll was, she said, rock and roll is immorality, pure and simple. That's what it is. And uh, that's why we do not want rock and roll music in our church. We do not go to the world to get their garbage to bring it in here and offer it to praise God. Number one, that's not sincere. Number two, it's not honest. And it does not glorify God. We do not want worldly philosophies. That's why we reject Calvinism. Why do we need a medieval lawyer to help us understand God? In fact, when is the last time a lawyer ever helped you understand anything? The, the truth of the matter is, look at the next verse. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Now, how many of you think you understand what the definition of the word conversation is? Let me give you one definition. Interchange of thoughts and words familiar with discourse or talk. How many of you believe that's the primary definition of the word conversation? Okay, you know I'm asking a loaded question. Nobody's going to answer. That's definition number seven. That is not the primary definition of the word conversation. That is how it is used today in modern English. Let me give you the primary definition. Definition 1.1. The action of living or having one's being in a place or among persons. Also figurative of one's spiritual being. Now this is not a theological dictionary. It's the Oxford English Dictionary. But how could you get a better definition of an English word? And it fits perfectly with the Greek word in the Bible, the word com that was translated conversation. 
definition two is the manner of consorting or having dealings with others, living together, commerce, intercourse, or society. You see, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles is simply meaning when the world looks at us, they should understand that we're living by a different standard than they are. We're living by a standard that would be called honesty. Uh, One of the modern words that has been totally lost is the word integrity. That means having character, having the ability to deal with life's difficulties. Look at the rest of verse 12, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by be by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Uh, I wish we had time to go through all the history of, of the Baptist peoples. But it talked about one group. They were called the Valdois, later became known as the Waldensians in southern France, northern Italy, that little corner where France, Italy, and Switzerland all come together. And in the Piedmont Valley there was a simple, honest people that served God without any interference or any outside direction of any church or any uh, other group of people. Uh, That's why the Catholics made them a special target during the Inquisition in the Middle Ages. Because when they sent their emissaries there, they would not bow to having their babies baptized because they already believed in a baptism after a profession of faith in the Bible, in God's Word, in salvation of Jesus Christ. They did not believe in a salvation that was earned piecemeal throughout your entire life, but a salvation that was a free gift from God. You see... They were spoken of in the most vilest and horrific of terms. And yet when other people talked about them, they talked about a sincere, honest, hard-working people. This is what the Bible's talking about here. You see, the Bible tells us In verse 16, as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Now, that is kind of a summary. And we as Americans, we talk about freedom all the time. And I want to challenge you, our freedoms are nev- have never been under the assault and the danger of losing them as we are at this day and this time. You see, the Bible tells us that we're, in verse 13, to submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, and that these governors are supposed to be sent by God for the punishment of evildoers. But verse 15 For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. If you want to know the sign of spiritual growth, number one, it's abstaining from fleshly lust. Number two, it's living simply and honestly, having a good conversation in the world, at your workplace. People ought to understand that you're not the one slacking off in the break room when you're supposed to be working. You're not the one that's goofing off doing your own things on the office computer when you're pretending to to do the company's business. The Bible says that we're supposed to have a good conversation, an honest one, that we're supposed to obey the laws. Um, When I was a Bible college student, 
they had a big deal in Nebraska, this church. It was not a Baptist church. But many Baptist preachers got on the bandwagon out there, and they actually had federal troops come in and carry people who were praying in the church out and lock the doors, and, and it was made as a huge assault on uh, religious liberty. But I never will forget when the chancellor of our college, his name was uh, W.E. Dow, came into our class. We were pastoral theology is what the class was called. And he said, I told these guys, this fellow in Nebraska is not one of us. He's not a Bible believer. This, this isn't about religious liberty. I don't know what the whole deal was, but then it came out. He was cheating on his taxes, stealing money from the church. He's doing all kinds of terrible things. And the guy should have been put in jail. And he was using his religious liberty as a cloak to hide. Now, if that isn't today's headlines, I don't know what is. The Bible tells us that our relationship with Christ is the purpose and the direction as to why we should live honestly and obey the laws of the land. The Bible tells us that with well-doing, we may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That we're to live as free, not using our liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. You want to know one of the great signs of spiritual growth? Is being able to patiently suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. I would challenge you, most of us never get there because we're too busy doing things for which we ought to suffer in this world. You see, spiritual growth, if we look at it here, verse 4 tells us, to whom coming as unto a living stone, if we will desire that sincere milk of the word, it will naturally conform us to the image of Christ. If we will understand what the church is, we will not have to be judged by that stone. We will be measured and fit into the building by that stone, which is Jesus Christ. If we understand our position in this world as chosen of God, and by the way, how do you get to be chosen of God? Not by some cosmic bingo game, but by whosoever will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. And those signs of spiritual maturity is a good conversation. First, abstaining from fleshly lust, a good conversation. Living as free men. We can honor the king. We can honor the laws. We can pay attention even to the edicts of our own governor and mayor here, which love not God. But praise the Lord, not a one of them have passed a law demanding disobedience to the word of God. Not yet. When they do, it's time to disobey. But that's not today. You see, the only way we're going to stop this is by putting to silence the ignorance of foolish men by doing right and loving Jesus. Can I ask you a question? How simple is that? Why, it's simple, simple enough to be part of that sincere milk of the Word. And it's so easily corrupted by the thoughts of men. 
and to come to a point to where if needs be, we willingly suffer to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So you can't find more spiritual maturity than that. Read Acts chapter 16 about Paul and Silas in the Philippian prison. How were they able to do that? It's because they had grown up and were conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Look here in in verses uh, 20 through uh, 24 gives us the example of Jesus Christ. How that he suffered. Verse uh, verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us. Having us for an example. Leaving us an example. Excuse me. That ye should follow his steps. Now look at verse 25. For ye were as sheep going astray. But are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. You know, Peter's just summarizing this entire passage here in this last verse of chapter 2. We sang the song this morning, Only a Sinner Saved by Grace. Do you know one of the greatest signs of spiritual maturity? is when you can understand that you have not arrived spiritually. That God has not received some special gift by you showing up. Hello? When we understand that we're sinners saved by grace, that we have returned, we were sheep going astray, but we've returned unto the shepherd It says, and bishop. Now, that shepherd means the caretaker, the one who provides. It is Jesus who gives us salvation, not us who earn it. Amen? It is Jesus who answers our prayers when we pray in his will according to his word to the Father. It is Jesus that keeps us. It is Jesus that gives us his word. But then it says, and bishop. Now, I've read some commentaries, and they say, oh, that is an evil translation, bishop. Well, let me ask you a question. Other than a chess piece, what does the word bishop mean? It means person in charge, ruling authority. Is Jesus the ruling authority in your life? Or is... Bill Hybels, or oh, I can't even uh, Rick Warren, or Joel Olstein, or what is that freak on the internet? Anderson, uh, Stephen Anderson. You know, we willingly follow men to our own hurt and our own destruction. When if we will take the sincere milk of the word, we're going to understand one thing. I was a sheep going astray. It's Jesus that's taking care of me, not me taking care of him. Do you know that's why the Baptists have never started a war? It's because we don't need to protect our Jesus. He's protecting us. That's one of the reasons why I'm not real excited about all these guys running around defending the faith. You see, when I'm defending the faith, I'm standing in front of it. And what have I just done? I made myself a target. When the faith is defending me, it's in front of me. And by the way, Ephesians 6 will come to this very soon on Thursday night. As we finish the book of Ephesians, it's called the shield of faith, isn't it? I don't protect my faith. My faith protects me. Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the bishop. All I got to do is follow him. 
And you know, sometimes that's not very exciting. Sometimes it's putting up with a preacher with a really terrible voice. But Lord willing, it won't be next week. Amen. But I want you to understand something here. Growth has got to start somewhere. And it ought to start as a newborn babe. And when that newborn babe, just moments old, begins to search and hunt and try to find his mother so he can be fed God's way. It's the best thing that can happen for that newborn baby. And when a newborn spiritual, one that's born again the Bible way, begins just with the sincere milk of the word, not all the foolishness of mankind, it's going to be drawn to the waters of a baptismal tank. The Bible says that. It's going to be drawn to the fellowship of a Bible-believing church. It's going to allow the things that go on in that church not to be shaped by him or her, but allow themselves to be shaped by what's going on in the church. And when that spiritual maturity begins to manifest itself, it's going to manifest itself as an understanding of the great calling that God has given us. And the elevated position that he has given us in Jesus Christ. And how we ought to abstain and war against worldly lusts. That we ought to have an honest life in the world and obey the laws. That we live as all, above all men as free. Not to do what we want but to do what Jesus says. And understanding that they're going to call us evil. Understanding that they're going to claim that the truth is wrong and that the wrong is truth. But to suffer patiently for doing right is reaching the highest level of spiritual maturity. And when it's all said and done, we'll understand that we follow the example of Jesus Christ. And that He is my shepherd. He is my bishop. I'm not afraid of that word. Because we want to be honest enough to know that there's no, no word in this Bible that the world has not perverted. Jesus is my bishop. He is my ruling elder. He is the one that has the authority to tell me what to do and what not to do. Because he's the one that is measuring. Just one more silly example and then we'll be done. We had a little bit of a disagreement in our home the other day. And I was called upstairs to mediate the problem. And the problem was, was the boys' room clean enough? The boys thought it was. Mama thought it wasn't. And they made one very bad mistake. They decided to argue with mother. That doesn't work. And so daddy came up. There were no more arguing. And the room got cleaned to mother's satisfaction, I believe. If not, we'll work on it after church. But that was my understanding of the situation. You see, so often as growing up, we think we understand where we are spiritually. When, if we'll only understand that we're a lost sheep that's now following the right shepherd. Those issues, those problems, those rubs that we have, those disagreements, we'll understand something. 
They belong to Jesus, not to me. That's what the word bishop means. I love the fact that Jesus has it figured out so I don't have to. And all God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand what it simply means to follow the shepherd. To surrender to the authority of the bishop of our soul. And Lord, that we would stop trying to evaluate how spiritual we are. And would allow the Holy Spirit of God to convict us of what needs to be changed in our lives. Lord, would you do this work and bring the unity of obedience to your word. The unity that comes from being measured by the chief cornerstone. The Lord, when the day of judgment does come, that we will be found to have fit in and be working and living as we ought to. We ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to convict in each heart and life what needs to be done. That we may follow the direction of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand as Leland comes and leads a song of invitation. If you need to come and pray, now is the time to do it.